Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, fellow Sark Fighter and noted writer Rebecca Stanfield talks about the need for opioids when it comes to legitimate pain. The the time of my worst pain um, was a period of 12 years starting in 2008. Stanfield recently published her thoughts in a column in the Huffington Post, and they are food for thought as the nation continues its battle with the opioid crisis. It was over a, a ten, over 10 year period. So there would be periods when the, the pain would flare up and I could not manage it at home using uh, medications. So I'd have to be hospitalized, sometimes for months at a time. It's all coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter Podcast. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 87 of the FSR Sark Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. This episode brought to you by Atire Pharmaceuticals. On the heels of their successful Phase 2 clinical trial, Atire Pharma has launched a Phase 3 clinical trial in pulmonary sarcoidosis, and this is very promising as we look for a potential cure, a potential drug that uh, is designed specifically for sarcoidosis. And this study will test whether efsofitamod, the drug, will allow people to reduce the dose of steroids they're taking to treat their disease while maintaining symptom control and preserving lung function. So go back and listen to episode 65 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast with ATAR Pharma's president and CEO, Dr. Sanjay Shukla. And to learn more, you can look for a link in the show notes. Now, I have to remind you that the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is hosting the inaugural Sarcoidosis Crystal Awards Gala, celebrating connections, collaboration, and catalyzing research. And this gala, it's a big party, if you will, is happening on May 24th, 2023 in Washington, D.C., and it brings together the sarcoidosis community for an evening of celebrating right? The clinicians, the researchers, advocates from literally around the globe who are leading the charge to advance sarcoidosis research, carve a path towards better treatments and a cure, and just to help people better deal with sarcoidosis. And you can visit stopsarcoidosis.org if you want to learn more. And of course, there will be a link in the show notes. But some of you may be aware, because I've mentioned it before, that at the gala, FSR is handing out four of these crystal awards, and I will will be one of the recipients. Uh, I was so surprised and pleased to learn that uh, they had chosen me to be one of the inaugural honorees. Uh, The other honorees are... Uh, The FSR Sarcoidosis Crystal Award for Excellence in Research and Clinical Care goes to Marjolyn Drent, MD and PhD, an FSR Scientific Advisory Board member, Professor Emeritus, ILD, at the Faculty of Health, Medicine, and Life Science of the Maastricht University in the Netherlands, and a guest senior researcher at the ILD Center of Excellence at St. Antonius Hospital in the Netherlands. 
Also, uh, the FSR Sarcoidosis Crystal Community Engagement Award goes to George A. Mensa, MD, FACC, and George is the director of the Center for Translation Research and Implementation Science at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, part of the National Institutes of Health. And then the Crystal Spotlight Award goes to Gerald Prescott Galian. She is an actress who has been very involved with sarcoidosis, and she is best known for her roles in AMC's The Walking Dead, the DC Universe's The Swamp Thing, where she plays Madame Xanadu, and various other Netflix uh, uh, presentations, series, should I say. Uh, Netflix Resort to Love, she plays Naomi King, and then most recently, All the Queen's Men, where she plays Judge Martha. So, uh, they, they are the other honorees, and uh, to be mentioned in such company is extremely humbling, uh, but this is, uh, this is something that you can attend. Uh, it is, uh, again, it's in Washington, D.C. on May 24th. There's a link in the show notes, and I just hope as many of you as possible would consider coming to this so that we can shake hands, I can meet you in person. We can talk about and share our stories about sarcoidosis and and just keep the ball rolling in terms of uh, making this podcast as effective as it can be in playing its small role in fighting sarcoidosis. So um, that is all coming up. Now, also, something else I'm very excited about. By the time you are hearing this, I will have just hosted a fascinating conversation with the folks at 23andMe. If you haven't heard of them, that is an organization that uses our DNA to track our ancestry. So if you want to find out, you know, you do a DNA test and you find out where your people come from, whether it's some part of Africa or Europe or various parts or whatever, are you are you 50% Irish, are you... 50% uh, Saxon or Norwegian or German or, uh, you know, uh, the various countries in Africa. What is your genetic code? Who are you based upon your ancestors? Well, they can track all that with your DNA. And so I think the curiosity factor plays a big part in people signing up to participate with, uh, I, I actually did something with Ancestry.com uh, way back when. Uh, part of a family project, but 23andMe is one of the big players in this space, and they're working with FSR, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, because they are looking to see if there is uh, some sort of genetic relationship between sarcoidosis and uh, your body, right? Do you have something in your DNA that makes you vulnerable to sarcoidosis? And wouldn't we all love to know that, especially once we have sarcoidosis? Or maybe you have it and you're worried that you've passed it on to your children. Wouldn't it be nice to know if, in fact, there were some indicators for that? Well, as I am speaking today, I have only had a briefing with the team at 23andMe, but they, they told us during that briefing that they can state with certainty that there are some genetic indicators 
associated with sarcoidosis and our body's response to various stimuli. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a gene that says you're predisposed to get sarcoidosis. Please don't hear that when I say this, all right? That would take it, that would go well beyond what I was told in my briefing. But they did say there are several indicators about how the body may respond in certain situations that may suggest a link to sarcoidosis, okay? And I really, I really, I can't say anything more about that without getting way beyond my depth. Uh, we, we were on a call with some, some of the FSR folks and some of the actual scientists, you know, uh, who are, are studying this at a very, very deep level. So I don't want to overstate it. But the takeaway so far, as near as I can tell, is that there is ongoing research. I know that's that's true, and it will provide a bit more understanding and maybe some clues as to why our, our body's immune systems go absolutely haywire and then create these granulomas that then do damage wherever they set up shop, in our lungs, you know, the drill, uh, the nervous system, in our heart, our skin, or pretty much eyes, any place else in the body, the ocular. So um, that is something that's coming up. And then um, we all know that sometimes SARC goes away by itself. But for those of us who have the chronic version of the disease, maybe, maybe genetically we can find out what's going on there. I don't know. I don't know, but but there are people who are working on finding those answers, and so FSR is presenting this town hall, and they will have already presented it by the time you hear this. I'm recording um, just about a week out of the release of the podcast, um, but then I can tell you that the podcast, uh, the, that the town hall will be released as a podcast, and that'll be coming out very soon here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast channel, so Look for that very, very soon. And if nothing else, if this is the only one you ever listen to, the only episode you ever listen to, well, then the takeaway is, guess what? Somebody is doing something about it. And this is the first time that we have talked about it on the podcast. So I'm, I'm very excited to be able to share that with you and, and pleased to be moderating that discussion coming up on the FSR Town Hall. Um, on a personal note, I got to tell you that sarcoidosis messed with my fishing yesterday. <laughs> what? What? Okay. This is kind of a first world problem. I get it, right? Uh, because here I am out fishing and doing what I love. Um, and some of you who are listening to this are so badly sidelined by sarcoidosis that getting off the couch is a problem. So, I, I know that you're only going to feel just so sorry for me, but let me let me just share this anecdotal information because sarcoidosis is that snowflake disease. It affects all of us differently. I have neurosarcoidosis, and you've heard me talk about this before. It's on my spinal cord right at the base of my neck, and the net result is, is that even though it's controlled, there was permanent damage done to my spinal cord. And so I don't have a great deal of coordination that like I used to. I, I used to be, uh, and you've heard me talk about this, a marathon runner and basketball player, and, and I don't have the coordination to do any of that. But one of the things that I discovered yesterday is that I believe that the muscles essentially in my back and my chest, let's say from my shoulders to my waist, 
have really atrophied. Like those muscles just aren't there. And, and although I'm active and I ride my bike, I've been finding that doing things like picking up a grandchild and carrying stuff to the car and, uh, you know, when, when the kids load up to, to leave the house or come to the house, it's become a, a bit of a challenge because I don't have the strength in my body that I used to. So, you know, my arms, my, um, my back, uh, my abs, you know, just normal walking around, living your life kind of stuff. Uh, I think that what's happened is, is because I have this neuropathy, which is a, a loss of feeling, uh, that those muscles are starting to fade really badly. And that presented itself yesterday on this trip. Now, I was doing a story on the Smith River, which is a beautiful river that flows out of a local lake here in Virginia called Philpot Lake. And they release the water from the bottom of the lake from a dam, and it creates very cold water, which is fantastic for trout. Trout need cold, oxygenated water. So there's a lot of lakes in Virginia that support things like bass and so forth, not a lot that support trout. And for 31 miles, there is an amazing national caliber trout fishery in this river because it's, it's what they call a tailwater where they release water from the bottom of the dam instead of the top of the dam. So you get the cold water from the bottom of the lake basically. And it stays cold. So it's it's like 54 degrees all year round, even though we have, you know, amazingly hot summers here in Virginia. I'm digressing. But the point is, is that I was doing a story for Channel 10, where I work here in Roanoke, WSLS 10 News, as the anchor. And I also host a series of outdoor stories called John Carlin's Outdoors. Very original, I know. But the problem was for me, this is getting back to the sarcoidosis thing, is that we're out there fishing on the river. I've got a guide who basically rows a large raft designed for fishing. And I'm I'm just having a hard time because of the awkwardness moving around in this raft, which has a nice platform on it designed for fishing. Right? It's a fishing boat. And I'm just awkward and I'm clumsy. But the big thing is, is that I got so tired casting the rod that I basically, by the end of the day, couldn't do it anymore. I just, I mean, all I'm doing is casting a fly rod, right? Um, and I mean, that is a, a, a skill, but it's a skill that I have. I just couldn't do it anymore. And by the time I got home, I could barely hold my head up anymore. My shoulders were so tired. My neck was so tired. I mean, people say, oh, I'm so tired. I could barely hold my head up. No, I got in the car and I almost had to recline the seat just so I could sit <laughs> to get home. And it was just one of those things where pre-sarcoidosis, I could have done this forever, right? Forever. And and it wouldn't have been a problem. And I just, I literally had to put the rod down and look at the guy who was, who was guiding us. And I had a cameraman and another boat. This was a big elaborate setup. We were flying drones. We were doing all kinds of things to make this a fantastic story about this amazing fishery. And yes, we caught some fish and it was it was a good day, but it was just one of those things where sarcoidosis really presented itself to me. And so now I am reaching out to you. If any of you know a good weightlifting routine or uh, I've never done yoga, but I'm about to consider it. 
anything that somebody can suggest to strengthen these muscles between my neck and my waist. You know, my legs are pretty strong because of all the bike riding I do, but the rest of me is just going to pot. So I don't know. Uh, if, if anybody's got any ideas, any suggestions, I'm open to them. And you can please contact me at carlinagency at gmail.com. There's always a link in the show notes. Let me know what you think. Um, and all of this is part of John Carlin's Outdoors, which is the nice segment that I do once or twice a month uh, for WSLS. Uh, and so I'll put a link to it and you'll be able to see the story soon. Um, at WSLS.com. There will be a link in the show notes. We What we do is we have something called WSLS Insiders. So you, in order to see these stories on our website, you just have to give us your email address and your name, and it's free. And then, uh, and then you can click around and you can see all the stories I've done, including the one that I just talked about. Well, we, did, we did catch some fish, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous river. Um, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere with trees all around you, and, and it's just really pretty. The, the fish are gorgeous, and, and we, had a, we had a great day. So maybe you'll check that out. All right, now to today's interview. And I'm very excited about this. Rebecca Stanfill is an FSR advocate, one of our Uber volunteers on many, many fronts. And she lives in Montana and writes about her life with sarcoidosis. And recently, as I said, had her work published in the Huffington Post, which is a big deal. And she wrote about how there is a legitimate need in her life, and there was, to take opioid-based painkillers because of sarcoidosis and how they helped her cope, but then it was a very long journey for her to fight the, and we've, this is well publicized for many, many people, to fight the addiction that so often comes with these drugs. And she agreed to talk about it here on the podcast, and Rebecca Stanfield's story is next, here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding and stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast, and joining me for a second appearance on the show is Rebecca Stanfill, a freelance writer out of Montana and a fellow Sark Fighter. She is a sarcoidosis advocate. She's on the Speakers Bureau and also a navigator for FSR. Rebecca, welcome. Well, uh, thank you, John. It's it's really great to be back. I'm excited to talk with you again. And you know, you and I, um, I, I always enjoy our conversations. And I enjoy whenever you uh, publish something, and you recently published uh, a blog on HuffPost, which I would assume is read by zillions of people uh, because it's on the HuffPost. And and so I really appreciate your point of view. Um, And you were talking about opioids and pain and how you had to deal with that in a very legitimate way 
but to to me reading it as an outsider even a scary way what what was your essential position before we dig into it on the situation with opioids during the pandemic and your pain during the pandemic well that's what you had said in your in your um, blog you had said that that you really were that was the time when you were really feeling a lot of pain and were forced to take op- more opioids than maybe you felt comfortable with but needed well actually the the time of my worst pain um was a period of 12 years starting in 2008 okay um, I maybe i misread that then i'm yeah sorry. so by the time of the pandemic i was very fortunate to have been tapering off um most of the medications i think okay. it would have been incredibly difficult during the pandemic i think it would have been especially hard to to work with a doctor um to manage the kind of pain that i was having from the neurosarcoidosis um <clears throat> so in some ways I feel really fortunate that I didn't have to deal with it during the pandemic. Okay. I'm sorry. So, but so, but the, the point is pandemic or not, the world has had in some sense, a knee jerk reaction to the need to regulate Oxycontin fentanyl because people are abusing these drugs. And they've led to all the overdoses and all the deaths and everything that we've talked about. But what that's done is that has made it difficult for people such as yourself who have a legitimate need for some of these drugs to get them. Is that fair? Yes. And just to be, just to specify again, I've, I've been very fortunate to have tapered off all the opioids. It was a three and a half year long process. Um, I think it's really important to sort of think about the opioid epidemic, the opioid crisis in sort of, of two phases. So there is, there's no doubt and the data is, is are extremely clear that in the early two thousands um, you had pill mills, you had, you had unscrupulous doctors handing out extremely powerful pain medications um, to patients. Um, what's, coming across now, and there are articles published on this, which I, I cite in the HuffPost article, um, is that the overdose deaths now are not occurring among prescription patients, particularly among prescription pain patients. It's occurring um, because of the rise of illegal fentanyl um, being sold on the street and being used um, illegally. Um, so it's a really complicated topic, um, and I just want to be clear that in no way am I am I diminishing the almost a million Americans who have lost their lives on one form of overdose or another, whether it was OxyContin pills or 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 illegal fentanyl bought on the street. Sure, no, and and, and I get that, but let's go back. And <clears throat> you mentioned in your post, um, the kind of pain that you were in. So for the sake of the listeners, can you describe the situation that you were dealing with at the, when it was bad? Yeah. I mean, I'm a writer and in some ways it, it, um, it's hard to find words. Um, I had sarcoidosis and it moved aggressively into my uh, cranial nerves. Um, 
and the the pain and the neurological issues started with uh, meningitis and I was hospitalized. Um, I had a, a very young child um, and I was, you know, I was a for former national class athlete. I mean, pain is something I'm used to dealing with. Um, this was, this was pain. I mean, um, it would, uh, you know, cause me to, to vomit repeatedly. It would cause me not to be able to move. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. It was accompanied with vertigo because of the, the cranial nerve, uh, involvement. Um, it was beyond debilitating. I lost the ability to read, um, much less write. I couldn't drive. Um, it was a struggle to get out of bed some days. It was, um, it was terrible. I mean, there's, there's yeah. no other word for it. And I, I think unless people have experienced pain like that, it's, it's, it's difficult to understand. So your doctors prescribes what Oxycontin and where does fentanyl enter that equation? Um, so, you know, at first, and, and I should also add that with these, these uh, flare ups, so this was over a, a 10, over 10 year period. Right. So there would be periods when the, the pain would flare up and I could not manage it at home using uh, medications. So I'd have to be hospitalized sometimes for months at a time, um, getting IV pain medication and trying to manage the the vertigo and, and the vision issues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a fact about opioids, and I think it's something that we need to be frank about, is that you develop a tolerance for them. It's like coffee, right? If you you know, rely on, on having one cup of coffee a day, your body gets used to it. And if you want that jolt of, of caffeine, then you need two cups of coffee. And I think a, a reality for pain patients is you're started on a dose and your body adjusts to it and it no longer controls the pain. And so then you're bumped up to a higher dose. Um, fentanyl, I think, is a more powerful drug than Oxycontin. Um, it it's used for pain patients as a patch. Um, so I think it, 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 uh, works better, you know, dispensing a little bit of the medication at a time throughout the day. Slow release. Um, so there was a time when I was on both, uh, Oxycontin and fentanyl patches and oxycodone for breakthrough pain. Mm. And, uh, that is why it was a, a long process to taper off that. Well, I, I can see that. And, and I've talked to pain patients before who they do build up that tolerance. And so then what happens is instead of one pill, they need two pills. Instead of two, they need three. And along comes legislation in reaction to the crisis. And how did that put a pinch on your needs? First, I, I just want to say that I was extremely fortunate. I am extremely fortunate um, to have insurance um, and to have the resources that allow me to travel to see specialists. Um, so these weren't conversations I was having with my family care doctor, right. right? These were people that understood my disease and and understood that what was going on was a real physiological process. It was not um, me seeking more medication. Sure. Um, I think uh, for me, it became, 
an issue mainly with my insurance company because I was really fortunate to have a medical team that worked with me, but it involved constant stress of the, uh, you know, the insurance company uh, calling me in and having me talk to, you know, someone who knew nothing about sarcoidosis, much less nothing about neurosarcoidosis, um, you know, questioning what was going on, uh, you know, holding up the doctor's prescriptions till the last minute every month, and just some really kind of, you know, really hurtful, uh, you know, accusations and sort of, you know, cavalier comments about, you know, oh, go try acupuncture or try meditating, you know, as if, as if I hadn't thought about that. And mm-hmm. as someone who considered considers myself pretty tough it it created a a sense of shame i think too um you know like am i not tough enough to deal with this you know like um am i not trying my hardest um which i really really was um so it was a challenge it was a it was a real challenge was there ever a time when your doctor felt like he might get dinged by some legislative body that monitors the number of pills he prescribes? Was was that ever an issue for him, a fear or her? He never said that to me um, because he was a really good doctor, but I know he had... Um, more calls than he would like of peer-to-peer reviews, they call them with insurance companies, of you know, talking to another doctor on the phone for the insurance company and advocating for me. Um, but like I said, he never he never put that on me, for which I'm really grateful. Right. So you put this article out there and the Huff Post published it, and it's just Excellent, really is, and you've got links Thank all you. through it and to different research. And so it's not it's not just your opinion. It's not just you know oh woe is me. Um, you, you were really doing uh, a, like a ten thousand foot analysis of the situation and using yourself to, yes. Thank you. uh, as, as an example. But so my takeaway from all of, from your blog was that there's still a lot of people out there. Fortunately, it's not you right now as we're speaking, but there are a lot of people out there who are in need of opioids or fentanyl, and they can't get it because their doctors are being watched so closely because of the way things have been legislated. Is it, what is it, the number of pills a doctor can prescribe or over a 30-day period? I mean, I don't know how they monitor that, but what 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 is the issue there for for the folks who legitimately need this. So the, the number that is used is uh, morph, morphine milligram equivalents um, is the standard they use. Um, you know, I'm a, uh, like you said, I'm a freelance writer and I, I do write personal essays. Uh, I've written on some incredibly personal topics before. Um, and I was, um, blown away, overwhelmed, moved by the number of people who got in touch with me. Um, you know, Facebook messages from people I'd never known. Um, 
I think there are more people than we would like to think about who are living in, in pain that, um, you know, for some of the people that contacted me, they, they talked about, they were planning suicide. Mm. Um, and I think the reality is, is that for, for some patients, they've been put in, in this one size fits all box. And when we're dealing with pain and we're, when we're dealing with something as complicated as addiction and overdose issues, one size fits all doesn't work. Um, so I heard from, from people whose doctors, they would come in and they would say, I'm cutting your dose in half today. You know, you have to deal with that. And, um, the physical toll that takes alone on your body to go into that kind of withdrawal is unimaginable. Um, I got emails and, and messages from people with cancer who were not getting thoughtfully. You you broke up there for just a second. The last thing I heard was people with cancer who were, and then I didn't hear the end of that sentence. I'm sorry, my internet is misbehaving. Yeah. I, I received messages from people with, with cancer who have been told to manage their pain with Tylenol or or have not been given, you know, pain medication. Um one woman had who wrote me had cancer in her jaw. Her jaw was dissolving. And she wasn't getting any pain medication. Lord. Have, are By any chance, are you familiar with the book or the TV series Dope Sick? I read Dope Sick. I think I listened to Dope Sick on the audio, on an audio book. Yes. Yeah. The author, Beth Macy, is an acquaintance of mine. She lives here in Roanoke. So. Oh, wow. Um, and many of the people who were profiled in that book, I don't think it transferred over to the TV part, but in the book... Uh, she followed some local high school students were in school at the same high school as my sons at that time. Very scary stuff to know that that was, was going on. And, and one of the girls who passed ultimately um, was the daughter of a friend of mine who's a doctor mm-hmm. and I ride bikes with him and, uh, and he was just obviously devastated. It's so, but, but this it's whole so concept of, of dope sick is what happens when you, if you need or whatever your body is used to having one, two, three pills, and then the doctor cuts that in half, you go into that withdrawal symptom, and that's dope sickness, according to what Beth Macy called in her book, and I, I don't think she originated the term. Uh, so did you ever have to go? You you did not have to go through that because your doctor was understanding, but, but the people who were contacting you did? Yes, people who have contacted me have gone through that. And even though I have a very understanding doctor and I was a very motivated patient, I wanted to get off these medications once the disease stopped causing such um, exceptional pain. Um, Every time you drop as incrementally as you can, especially with fentanyl, um, you know, you, you know, even with these, these small drops, it's insomnia, it's jitteriness, your nose runs all the time. You can have stomach issues. Um, so that's just with an incremental drop. So 
just think exponentially about what how you would feel, you know, with constant diarrhea, unable to sleep, sweating, uh, unable to sit still. I mean, I think it would be, it would be terrible. Right. So you the, you weaned yourself off of the opioids, or you and your medical team did over? Did you say three and a half years? Yes. And so that was three and a half years, kind of feeling jittery and suffering all the symptoms you just mentioned. No, because of the way that, you know, that my, my doctor, who's a, a specialist in, in these types of issues, um, you know, when you first drop, it's a, it's a couple days of that. Right. Um, and then your body readjusts. Um, so it wasn't like, it would be like, oh, you drop X number of milligrams on Monday and you drop X milligrams on Friday. It would be, you drop X milligrams on Monday, a month later you drop another equal increment. So it's, it's, it would be a small period of time of dealing with that. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately. It feels very much like um, tapering off prednisone. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, there was a couple of times when, you know, I, like I said, I was very motivated. I wanted to be off these, right. I wanted my head as clear as possible. I wanted to be with my son who was, who was, you know, growing up and, you know, getting ready to leave for college. Um, so there would be some times that I would drop a little more aggressively and then we'd have to have a conversation and just like with a prednisone drop, right. You get a flare up of symptoms or, and then you need to go back up a little bit. So um, it's very similar to that. Yeah. How are you feeling these days? So I'm feeling remark. Okay. Knocking on a wood desk. Okay. Um, I'm feeling remarkably well when it comes to the neurosarcoidosis issues. The last hospitalization I had for that was in 2018. Um, for me, my disease, uh, probably used this on the last time we talked, but it's the best way I can think about describing it. It feels for me like sarcoidosis hopscotches around my body, right? So um, now um, I'm having a lot more issues with cardiac sarcoidosis. Um, I'm, you know, I have a defibrillator and so I don't need to worry about um, a life-threatening cardiac event. Um, I have, uh, you know, GI involvement and I, I think like all of us or 90% of us, I struggle with fatigue. I struggle with that like bone wearying fatigue um, and, you know, managing you know, what can I do in a day? What, what things can I take on? Um, so I feel really grateful to be where I am now. Um, but it's been, it's been 19 years with this disease. So. Wow. Are you currently taking any medication for the sarcoidosis? Yes. I'm still on prednisone. I seem to 10 milligrams seems to be my body's like, um, uh, hard, like hard and fast line. Uh, I also take Acthar, which is a, uh, uh, it's called corticotropin. I'm sure your listeners know about it. And then once a month I get an infusion of uh, immunoglobulin IVIG. I have uh, low uh, immunoglobulin levels and uh, that infusion also helps with some of the, the nerve related sarcoid doses issues I have. So so IVIG, you, you have to go in and, and do a transfusion type situation? It's them? a monthly infusion, monthly yeah. You go to the hospital or an outpatient center? or 
Um, here in town, we have what they call the infusion center. So yeah. it's a, for me, it's an all day affair. Um, but once a month. Okay. And yet just share with everybody where you just went. So I just got back. Uh, I don't want to travel brag. Um, no, this is okay. This is, this is awesome. Um, my husband and I went to New Zealand on the South Island for three weeks and then three days in Fiji. And um, I was really anxious about the trip. We'd been to New Zealand 21 years ago when I was 30 and exceptionally fit and not sick. And we did 21 mile hikes and, um, and we went and we just had an amazing time. Um, I, I had so much more capacity physically than I thought I'd have. So, you know, doing some hikes, um, doing some kayaking, um, it was incredible. And I just, I just feel so fortunate that I was able to do that. Um, yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That, uh, that is a bucket list trip for me. And, and you mentioned earlier, but for people who didn't hear the first podcast, at one point you were um, a candidate for the U S Olympic cycling team. Yes. Yes. That was a long time ago, but yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I, I still love, I mean, the things that I love to do are like you, I love cycling. I love, um, hiking i love kayaking i love ice skating and cross-country skiing and so to have lost the ability to do those things for so many years and then to have it return um i just try to be mindful and just really grateful of of you know the ability to do that um you know recognizing that it might change which is a, a hard balance you know you have to walk that line right of right I love our I love our philosophical discussions because um, you you are so good at those types of things. But so, were you able to live in the moment? Everybody's trying to live in the moment. Were you able to live in the moment when you're in New Zealand and just say, you know what, I couldn't do this for a while. Now I'm doing it, and I just really appreciate it. I was, which is I think a sign of 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 growth on my part. <laughs> um, because I, I think I do have that that athlete's like, you know, heart in me. And um, I was also really lucky to be traveling with my husband, who I think is one of the kindest human beings in the world, who's, you know, a, a marathon runner and could probably jog up, you know, the hikes that we were doing. And just to have him be saying like, gosh, I'm so glad you're here. And this is so amazing. I mean, that that really, I think, helped me with that. Um, so, yeah outstanding so what is next for rebecca stanfield you're gonna you got another article or um uh, another outing plan what are you gonna do i have another article on a radically different topic that's sort of that's in process um i feel really fortunate i've been able to return to some work so um i've been working at a a nonprofit here in helena that i started i love my work um with FSR, um, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Um, and I think we're talking about maybe Costa Rica in the um, in the fall. So we'll have to see. You'll have to see how everything shakes out with that. Another bucket list for me, Costa Rica. You, you are living my best life. <laughs> 
man, I've, I've, I just, I've got to get to retirement soon. Cause I just don't have enough, enough time off from the television station to go do all these things. Plus all the beach trips and everything I want to do with the grandkids and everything. It's just, it's so hard to find time to do this. Yeah. Well, we're like very recent empty nesters. Our son left for college um, like this year okay. and my husband can do a lot of his work remotely. So that's something, you know, he doesn't have to show up like you do to be filmed every day. So right. it makes it a little easier. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so you and I had a conversation last time about how you didn't really embrace the concept of fighting the disease. And so this, and, and of course, we're all under the name of the podcast is Sark Fighter and people have sarcoidosis are referred to as Sark Warriors. And and you kind of said, no, you gotta you gotta be at at peace with it. Do you, do you, I don't are, know if peace is the well, right word, but acceptance. I don't even know if acceptance is the right word. I just did I submitted a piece on exactly this topic um last week to a place. So we'll see if it's ah, published. Okay. Um yeah, like, for, like I definitely thought of myself as a warrior and a fighter for many, many years through, um, gosh, five five years of getting um, chemotherapy every other week or once a month. Um, and it just reached a point for me, like we talked about before, where that idea of like living every day like a battle wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I needed to be able to, to listen to my body and to recognize that there are days when as much as I want to fight to go on a walk or to read a book or to see a friend, it's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And the more that I push, the greater the chance I'm going to set myself back for a longer period of time. Um, I think we talked about this last time. This mindset is a constant work in progress for me because mm -hmm. of course I want to push myself and do as much as I can every day. Um, and so that's why I don't think acceptance is the right word. I think it's, it's just sort of this idea of I'm living with this disease in my body for 19 years and, um, you know, treating every activity in my life, if I could get downstairs for dinner, if I could play with my son, if I could show up for the school play, you know, treating all of those as a battle. Um, again, I think this ties back into being an athlete, you know, that I wanted to win. And I felt yeah. like a loser. Right. I felt like a loser, oh. you know. Um, but I think everyone who lives with this disease, we got it. <laughs> However works for any of us to think about it and manage it, it's good. You know, I'm not saying that other people should think the way that I'm thinking. Um, I, 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 you know, it's, we, we've all got to manage this physically and emotionally and however we think about it that, that lets us live our lives as fully as possible is what we've got to do. Well, I like, uh, even though, I always felt like I had to fight it, had to fight it, had to fight it, had to get back on the bike, had to get back out and mow the lawn, had to do, you know, whatever, but fight, fight, fight. And, you know, and, and do whatever the doctor said and eat right. And whatever it took, by God, I was going to get it done. But 
I might have liked during that time to have somebody give me permission to not do that. (laughs) Just, just be more accepting of the situation. And so I, I have mentioned your position on numerous podcasts because I think it has great value. I really do. Um, Oh, I really do. I'm glad. I'm glad it has some value. Yeah, absolutely. So then let's, as we wrap up, why don't we just go back and, and circle back to your, your piece uh, uh, on the opioids, what would you like people to have as a takeaway from that post? So talking to sarcoidosis people who are also chronic pain patients, the first thing that I would like them to take away is that there is no reason to feel shame that you are experiencing pain. Um, I would also encourage people, whatever their situation is with sarcoidosis, that you have to be your first and best advocate. And that means if you know that you are living with a pain or any kind of symptom that is intolerable and you go to a doctor and they say, yeah, no, you know, you have a right to ask questions, to push back and to look for other doctors. Um, And I think my last takeaway is that it's really complicated and I don't have the answers. You know, pain is a really complicated thing. Um, And I'm certainly not saying that, you know, you know, the minute I have pain in my body, I I run out and I take a narcotic, right? Like Mm -hmm. these are, these are powerful drugs. And I think what's really important is for people to work, to develop relationships with healthcare providers who can work with them in a manner that lets them live their best life. And that's a really hard thing to do. Um, you know, some of the articles I cite in the, in the uh, article, you know, point to the fact that low income pain patients often are paying the highest price when it comes to being cut off narcotics. So I guess my takeaway is it's really complicated and you have to um, you have to advocate for yourself and you you have to work with your doctor in this new environment and and be prepared for there to be some obstacles yes yes all right Rebecca thanks for joining me on the podcast today gosh John it's it's such an honor to be back again you do such amazing work so thank you for having me I feel a zombie just feeding at stumbling thanks to rebecca for sharing her story there will be a link to her blog in the show notes and again thanks to her as well for all she does to help those of us with sarcoidosis cope and understand what the disease is all about the ways it forces us to change our lives if it's something minor like my fly fishing trip or something major, which is just life-changing stuff that forces you to take drugs you wouldn't normally even want to take. Um, It's a snowflake disease. It affects all of us in different ways, and certainly uh, it's had a huge impact on Rebecca's life. And this is the second time she's been on the podcast. Her writing is just amazing, and and I hope you'll, you'll check out her thoughts in that blog post on the on the Huffington Post. 
Hey, I want to remind you that Sark fighter Royce Robertson is doing a fundraising bike ride that'll take three days to complete as he rides from Buffalo to Syracuse, New York later on this summer in 2023. He's calling the event Cycle 4 Sark, the number four in the middle cycle, numeral four Sark. I've made a donation to his account at KISS, kick in to stop sarcoidosis. All the uh, info to donate is in the show notes, or you just go to the FSR website, click on Join Team KISS, and then scroll down. You'll see Royce's Cycle for Sark page, and you can make a donation there. I had really hoped maybe I could ride with him, but the timing just isn't going to work out with his life and mine. But uh, thanks to Royce for the fundraising he's doing with the Cycle for Sark campaign. And again, I hope to see as many of you as possible at the Crystal Gala on May 24th in Washington, D.C. And also look for that episode coming up soon as we explore the connection between our DNA and sarcoidosis with the folks at 23andMe. The official Sark Fighter song is Zombie by Mark Steyer and the White Hot Lizards. Mark's story, the story behind the lyrics, is in episode 12. Remember, we release the Sark Fighter podcast every other Monday. And as I'm speaking today and glancing across the office, my trusty dog, Dougal, a boxer, is curled up in the chair of my office, and Dougal makes my life so much better. The backstory to the founding for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson. Don't forget to follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook as the Sark Fighter, Instagram, Peloton. Look for me there if you have a Peloton treadmill or bike. My cycling blog, Carlin the Cyclist, has a section called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. If you're new here, and you're just trying to figure out what Sark is, go way back to the beginning, listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart from the UK. My story is episode one. And you can send me an email, carlinagency at gmail.com. There's a link in the show notes. And I do appreciate your interest in the Sark Fighter podcast as we continue to try and find ways to cope with this disease. And it helps me reach more people, grow the show, make it more effective if you share it on your social media. And if you like the show, please just tell one person. It wouldn't hurt if you gave it a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your downloads. I do appreciate that. The show is still growing, and it's all because of you. And until next time, keep fighting. Trying to keep up the pace Dead men walking